0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. How's everybody doing today? It's been a couple years since I've had the opportunity and the privilege to actually stand before and teach some stuff. I'm not Pastor Joseph, so (laughs) you'll have to step your uh, thing down a little bit. Uh, Anyway, he asked me, he's out of town today, and he did happen to ask me, we're still going through the You Ask For It series, and this subject happened to come up because we have spent the last 10 months studying through prophecy, and there's so much to learn. I think even over the last 10 months, I don't think we've really, but really scratched the surface on it. You can get so far in depth in it. So when he asked me to do that this morning, I had a couple cards here, things to talk about, and I thought wow, what am I going to talk on? There's so much to talk on. I, I wasn't even sure where to go. So um, with lots of prayer, you know, the Lord's kind of led, led me some direction. So we'll start by with prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord. God, this book of prophecy, your your prophecy is all through your Bible, Lord. And, Lord, it's because you want us to know. So, Lord, this morning, I just ask that my words be clear what I'm saying to you. Lord, it is understandable, God. And I'm just here going to open my mouth, Lord, and let your words come through. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, some ground rules, stuff we're not going to do. Is we got to be careful with prophecy. It's a funny thing. So today, let's just get one thing straight. When you leave here today, you're not going to know everything there is to no know about prophecy. You're just not going to. It's impossible. Um, So we're going to look ahead, Um, something else we're not going to do if I ever at any point in time or if any of you guys ever at any point in time hear anybody ever set a date on when Christ is coming back, if you came here today to hear that, you're not going to hear it from me because anybody the Bible tells you, Jesus says, if somebody sets a date, walk away from him, he's a fool. So any point in time that ever happens. Something else we need to talk about that I hear quite a bit, people seem to get scared when it comes to prophecy and because there's a lot of misunderstanding. And we can't, got to be careful as Christians, we can't come out with crazy Christian talk. We can't start right out of the gate saying about the beast that comes out of the sea and a woman riding a dragon throwing stars. You start doing that, people are gone. You can't do that. Um, There's a lot of meaning to that, and you got to stay away from that. So we got to keep it simple. And the big reason we need to talk about this, you know, Revelation says we're blessed if we read it and know God's word because a lot of it's about God's timing. He is coming back and we need to know the, the time we live in. And if you notice today, there's a lot of fear in the world today. People have no clue what is happening in the world today. We should, we should have answers. And that's the whole point of studying prophecy. So as we go through this, just keep your minds open. You realize that when you study prophecy, 20, they say 27 to 33% of your Bible is prophecy. That's a third of the Bible is prophecy. It starts all the way from Genesis and goes clear to Revelation, and a lot of it is about the one thing. Man fell, God has made a way, and that's what prophecy is about. It's about Christ coming, Christ dying on a cross, Christ coming again to get us, and at the end, he's going to make it new, and it's just an awesome thing when you get into it. So we need to know it. So I thought, where do we start? If you haven't noticed, I'm old school. I don't have a tablet up here. I got paper. (laughs) So I thought I'm going to look at two things. Uh, I was going to look at church in Israel. So I thought I'd start with something that probably not going to seem very prophetic till the end. And maybe you'll get it halfway through, and if you do, I hope I hear somebody just shout out because it's really awesome. We're going to start off in an area where two thirds of the gospel was actually taught. And anybody that's been in our Bible studies know where I'm going to go with this. Two thirds of the gospel was taught in Galilee. I always was thinking it was taught in Israel or Jerusalem. You know, it wasn't. Two thirds of the gospel was taught in Galilee. So how did Christ teach? He taught with parables. You know, He spoke parables because people understood the culture, and Jesus used earthly stories to and, and attach the heavenly meaning to them so that they understood what he was talking about. Now that doesn't mean today you and I can't read the scriptures and understand it, but what it does is it adds so much brightness, so much more color to God's word when you understand the culture. And the sad to say part is we don't really truly understand Jewish culture. We just don't. And more so we really don't understand the Galilean culture and that's what makes this very interesting Um, there's some things over the years research that has been done archaeology finds and different things you know over the years they've learned a lot about the Galilean culture and this is really amazing so the thing I want to focus on first part this morning is going to be a covenant agreement and today we're going to look at what they used to do in Galilee when it came to a wedding. This is very interesting because today we have, when we have a wedding, we have family and we get all our friends together and everybody comes in. But back then they didn't do that. Family was important, but it wasn't as important as it was having witnesses. So when they had a wedding, a betrothal, it was done at the city gates where the elders of the, the community lived, where the leaders were. It was about witnesses. It wasn't about family as much as it is for us today. So when they went there, what they would do is go to the gate and whatever family came with them, like I said, it was more about witnesses, they would read the covenantal, covenantal agreement, I can't even talk. Agreement would be read and the groom, while it was read, the groom would pass the bride a cup of wine. When she took that up, she had full control, full power to say, I'm gonna accept the covenantal agreement and choose to be married or she could push it away and say, no, I don't want it. Wine was a very important part of agree- you know, the covenants back then. So at that point in time, she had full power. Now if she took the cup and drank from it, that basically would say that that agreement is, is, is met and they were to be married. And at that point in time, there would be an exchange of money which was not because they were paying the family or there was an agreement to be signed. It was basically for the groom to give the family to cover the expenses for his future wife. It was to help pay for her to live there. He was supporting his wife at that time. It's, it's amazing. you know. It wasn't about I'm paying the family for the wife. And at this point in time, once that was done, both the bride and the groom would go their separate directions. See, back in the culture back then, when they did that, made that point, the groom would go back home, usually to the father's house, and he would start to add on to the father's house, start to make preparations, start to get things in order, so at some point in time, he would get his bride and they would move in together. At the same time, she would go back to her home and she would start to do things. She would start to prepare for the groom to come. She would start to buy the white linens. You know, you got to think back in that culture. You just didn't go to Walmart. You had to wait for you know, the caravans to come through to buy stuff. So this took time for them to build for her to get ready. But the whole time she was getting ready, she was preparing for her groom to come get her. She was to make herself pure, make her, you know. And when she was doing that, you know, there would be this period of time where she would be eagerly anticipating the coming of her groom. And it was an undis, you know, we don't know the amount of time. I'm sure it varied between families. But when it hit that point where they would be, everything was done, when the groom got to that point where everything was built, Everything was ready for the, for the uh, ceremony, the seven day ceremony. Everything was ready. Did the groom go get his bride? No, no he did not. They found out now that even when everything was done, there was only one person who told the groom when to go and that was the father. His father would tell him when he could go get his bride. And that was an amazing discovery that they found that out because when you start to, is anybody putting two and two together here? Are you, starting to, are you starting to get this? It's, this is awesome. And I'll, and I'll loop this back around at the end. But only the father would tell the son, go get your bride. You know, as she was waiting. And this is awesome. So that day would come, Finally, would come. The groom would come and get his bride. And when they left, and they're finding out now, this was usually done in the early hours, of, late at night, early hours of the morning. This is, you know, the Bible talks about like a thief in the night comes. Well, in that culture, that's what they did. He would usually start early hours of the morning, in the night, and they would come. The groom and his groomsmen would come. They'd be blowing a trumpet, all who were ready to go. They were prepared. They were ready. They would all come out and meet. And this gets really cool here. The groomsmen would bring what they call a litter. Anybody know what a litter is? Basically, it's a chair with, that they would carry somebody on. You know, they are just four people. And so the bride would sit in a chair, and they would lift her off the ground in what they call fly her to the father's house. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so when that happened, they would go there and there would be a seven days of celebration. And I thought, that's an amazing thing. When you, when you actually get into the culture of Galilean culture is how a wedding was performed. Now just keep that in the back of your mind because I'm gonna switch to Israel now. And this is something when we switch, We're going to go back into Daniels 9.25. And we go to Daniels 9.25. It says this. And I'm going to slow this down. I don't know if she has it on the screen. Awesome. I'm going to slow this down because there's a lot in here and you've got to get it all. And I've got to get my glasses on because I can't read anymore. (laughs) It says, no one understand this. From the issuing of the decree. Hold on to that word. To restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt. What will be rebuilt? Jerusalem will be rebuilt. The streets in the trench, but it will be done in times of trouble. After the ruler who, who will come will destroy the city. Oh, sorry, I missed the verse. After the 62 sevens, the Anointed One will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. We know that was done in seventy A.D. We're going to cover some real time here. The end will come like a flood. And when you actually look at this, when you think about what it says about prophecy in the end times, it says it's like birth pains. Things come faster and harder and fast. Same way with a flood. A flood starts kind of slow, builds, it gets faster, it gets more, it gets keeps coming. So we've already moved through quite a bit of time here. Then will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolation has been decreed. He will confirm a covenant. And when he says he will confirm a covenant, we are talking about the end times, the tribulation period. He is the antichrist. He will come and confirm a covenant. And when we talk about confirm, confirm in Greek, uh, they use a the Greek word kabir, which means to make better. So it's not he is not gonna come and make a new covenant. He's gonna come and make whatever covenant is there better is what that means when he says, many for one seven, and in the middle of seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, which means the temple has to be built by then. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So when we read through that, well, before I go any further, I need to stop here for a minute because this is one of these things. When I read this point, I thought i got to stop and say something here because we got what we talked about earlier, crazy Christian talk. When we say things we probably shouldn't say because we're really not sure what we're saying. When we get into the Daniel 9:27, at this point, when we are talking about the temple, and on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. This is the same thing that's read in chapter 13 of Revelation, verse 6. And at this point is when the abomination of desolation happens, is when the Antichrist sits in the throne and claims to be God. And at that point, he will demand to be worshipped. This is a total side note, bar out of this, but I've got to say it. At this point is the mark of the beast. So please, I've heard, I've heard people say it, I've heard people ask when we get to talking about the vaccine shot of the day is not the mark of the beast. Please, please do not say that to people. Because unfortunately, if you've received a shot, sorry, you're out of luck. You know That's not how it works. <laughs> so, so please don't say. If you hear people saying that, please stop them and correct them because that is not correct. The actual mark of the beast does not happen until mid-tribulation period. So but on authority of God's word, you can tell people that. Now, on that same note, I'm not saying that they're not using fear and in, in you got in trust the government. That it's not starting to take place. That they're not trying to get people to trust the government. Do what we tell you. I'm not saying that's not happening. Anyway, back to our study. So what do we know? So we know that the first seven years, 49 years, the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt. Uh, that started with a decree in 444. 444 BC that decree was made by a Persian king Artaxerxes and he gave that to Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem that's the year it happened. and how was he to rebuild that anybody made it was times of trouble he was to rebuild a city with what a sword in one hand why he built a city the city with his other you know so that was built in times of trouble exactly like it says now I didn't figure this math out but this is really awesome you got to stay with me on this in 44, 444 B.C., if you take seven years, the seven sevens, 49 years, the 62 sevens add on to that, comes out to 800 and 483 years. And if you times that by the amount of days, it comes out to 173,880 days. And then you divide that by 360 days because the Jewish calendar and the Babylonian calendar only had 360 days in it. So basically what they were saying is in March of 444 B.C. is when the decree was set forth. When you track all the way through, that comes the end of the 69 sevens, puts you in about March of the year 33 A.D. Anybody know what happened? Anybody know what was going on in March 33 A.D.? There's a hint of, you know, they're singing, you know, they're praising, singing, you know, Holy Hosanna, Hosanna. What day was it? Palm Sunday when he comes in. I I never knew that I've read the Bible and I've never realized that that it was in here I mean it's the exact comes right down the exact day that is so awesome but the bad part is as Jesus approached in Luke 19 verses 41 it says as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city he wept over it why? they were singing praises to him the Lord was coming Hosanna but unfortunately they were looking for the wrong Messiah they were looking for a (laughs) earthly king who was going to overthrow the Roman government and be their king that's not why Jesus came they missed it. They missed it. Jesus said, If you had known, even if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So we see the kind of a church age and an Israel age. Israel missed it. They had it right in front of them. I mean, it was even marked down in the year he was going to come in, the month he was coming. They missed it. I don't want us to be like that today. See, Daniel could see, Daniel, when he was looking at these, he could see the mountaintops. He could see the first set of sevens. He could see the 62 sevens. He can see the 70 of seven. But what he couldn't see was the valleys in between. And those valleys in between are come down to what we commonly call, or what the Old Testament referred to as the mystery, or the time of the Gentiles, or we like to call it the church age. He couldn't see that valley. They didn't understand it. That's why they called it a mystery in the Old Testament. They could not understand what the church age was. But at some point in time, so you had seven years, seven sevens, 62 sevens, but there's still one set of sevens left. So what happened is when they hit the 69th seven, the prophetic time clock stopped. We still have one set of seven years left. We are in that church age right now. But at some point in time, that clock's got to restart. And we think to ourselves, maybe, boy, it sure be nice to have some insight on that. Well, guess what? We got it it's right here. The disciples asked Jesus. They said, "When will this happen? And what will be the signs of the coming of the end of the age?" And this is in Matthew. And Jesus answered him. If we go to Matthew four, verse, or I'm sorry, Matthew twenty-four, verse four. You know, the first thing Jesus said to him, "Watch out! Watch out that no one deceives you." Are we living in a time of that right now? Deception is rampant right now. It says, watch out that you no know one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Let's think about that in a religious context. How many, unfortunately, churches have we seen go the wrong direction? People who've grown up in churches, and now the churches are wrong. Is, is there anybody here that's coming here because their church wasn't preaching what they thought was right? Deception is... Not only in the world, but there's deception in the church. So we gotta be staying on God's word on this and we gotta know it. Something else he tells us is you will hear of, hear of wars and rumors of wars. Jesus said, see to it that these things are not alarming. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Think about all the years, all the wars that have gone on. Was it World War One that they figured was gonna be the war to end all wars? And then World War II, and then the Korean War, and then Vietnam, and Desert Storm. And now there's so many wars, we can't even keep track of them anymore. Things are spiraling up. Things are spinning up. Things the birth pains are coming more and more. We're seeing that. Verse 7 says, nation will rise against nation. When you take that back to the Greek word, it comes back to, like, ethnos. It's not so much nation against nation, but it's going to be ethnic wars, race against race. Are we seeing that today? We've seen a lot of that. Man, the world is just fanning that to, to no end. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. When you look at that, when they put that in the Greek word, it's, that's basically politics. Politics will be against politics. Are we not seeing that today? Not only in America, but in Israel and other places all around the world. Verse 8 says there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Also in other parts, of the Bible says about having pestilence. Kind of seeing a little bit of that. And here's a couple that I'm just going to throw at you real fast. All these things are things that Jesus said we'll see as we get to the end. So far, we're seeing a lot of this. And here's the a, here's a key for you. A lot of these things have been going on all throughout history. But Jesus said when you see them all happening at the same time. That's that's the key here. Here's the one. How about a, here's a real watershed moment. How about Israel becoming a nation in 1948? That's huge. That's huge. If you don't believe the Bible, just reading that alone, it not He tells us, can a nation be born in a day? We've seen it. Israel born in a day. No other nation on earth has ever come back from being gone and come back. That alone is a huge one. This one here gets a little tricky. The Gog and Magog War. I believe there's going to be two because the Bible is pretty specific on who is attacking who and where they're coming from. But the first one we talk about. I'm going to talk about is would be the first Magog War, Gog Magog, but we don't know when that's going to be. We know it's going to be somewhere, but we're thinking towards the beginning of the seven year, maybe start, maybe, we don't know yet. But we do know a couple things. We know that it's Rosh, I can't hardly pronounce this, Meshi, and Tubal, Tubal. We know those today by looking at the geographical map and where they're at. It's Russia, Turkey, and Iran. And it said they will, con- they will come against Israel, basically for the spoils of war, and we know they're going to come there to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And only Sheba and Dedan will be the only ones who will ask, why are you doing this? That's all they're going to do is ask. Nobody's going to be there to defend Israel except for God himself. He is the only one. So that when he defends them, nobody, everybody's going to know that it was God himself. Now, why is this important? Why do I bring this up? Does it, you all realize in November 2019, Russia, Turkey, and Iran sign an agreement. They are in Syria, right off of Damascus, right where the Bible says they're gonna go. Indeed, Dan and Sheba is Saudi Arabia. They've always been enemies. Guess who got a Christmas card last year from Saudi Arabia? Israel. So here we have have people lined up, exactly how God said they would be lined up. That is amazing to see this. How about uh, the temple? I think everybody knows a little bit about this. They have everything they need for the temple to be rebuilt. They claim they can have it built in three months. They've actually got what they, the last couple of things they had was what they said was a red heifer. They've actually got two of them now. They never had that. And the antiqu- antiquity of Israel claim that they know where the covenant of the ark is and they're not bringing it out until the temple's built. I don't know how true that is, but wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> um, And I lost my place. Oh, here's one for you. Let's just take a look at let's take a look at Syria. Between everybody bombing Syria, Israel's bombing Syria. What do you think everybody's doing in Syria? They're leaving. Where are they going to other countries? What's happening? They're destabilizing the countries. What's happening in America? We got people coming across the borders. There's just too much. It's starting to destabilize. We got politicians on left and right. They're so corrupt people are so disgusted with politicians and so disgusted with world leaders right now. You can almost hear people saying it. We need somebody that can fix our problems. They're looking, who are they looking for? They're looking for the Antichrist. Everything is starting to come together. Um, how about technology? Have anybody heard about Great Reset? Anybody heard about that? They've been talking about this one for a while. They want to reset the world everything, reset world government, reset world peace, reset world you know, money, talking about going to digital currency. Um, this is my opinion I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say this America is the only one that could really stop this from happening so how would you get America to dumb down and get to the point how would you do it dump a bunch of money in get people who don't want to work companies go out of business econ- economically crash America that's just my opinion I think that's what they're doing anyway something's got to happen to America it's not in the M times it's not talked about and some this is all going to happen to me this is in, in my, my eyes, that's what's happening. Uh, here's another watershed moment that I bet you most of us don't even think about. When I say watershed, it's only because it's a huge event. Like, like Israel being formed was a huge event. You can't deny that. Another watershed moment, and this comes from Billy Crone, he's an excellent pastor that's big in the technology. He said, "The use of AI technology." which we all use. We all have it on our cell phones. You're all being tracked. You're all being, everything about you is being caught. AI is the only way, the only way, that the mark of the beast could ever be accomplished. If it wasn't for AI, you'd have to have 10 million people to watch everybody and everybody's account shut it off. AI will be able to do it all for them. The technology today that's here today could do the mark of the beast today. The Bible doesn't talk about technology 20 years from now, 30 years from now. We don't know when the Lord's coming back. We know he's coming back quickly, but the technology today is here. It could be done today. If you think I'm lying to you, check out China. We have our credit scores. We call credit scores. In China, they have social scores. They track everybody with AI. You're either for the government or you're against the government. And you know what happens if you're against the government? You can't go places. You can't buy things. You can't do things. And if they really don't like you, they shut your bank account off. Tell me the technology's not here to do it they track everybody in china that's pretty scary you get down to it when you think about all this stuff i like jan markell from olive tree Ministries. she's kind of coined a phrase that says things aren't falling apart they're falling in place everything's starting to come together and this is exciting for us as christians we should know this because we should be sitting back now looking at everything happening in the world and, and understand hey man the lord's coming back we're getting really close we don't know when but we know it's getting closer So, to switch into the third thing I want to talk about. That night, Jesus was in the upper room. And he was telling his disciples, if you remember this, with his cup of wine, he said to them, this is a cup of the new covenant in my blood. And later on that night, he talked about, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me. That where I am, you may be also. What did the disciples hear? What did they hear? They heard a wedding. They knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew that if he was gonna go away, he was gonna go build a place for them and he was gonna come back and get them and take them back to be with him. That is truly awesome and that's where we're at today. That's what we're looking for. Jesus is a groom and the church is his bride and he's coming back to get us. So that cup is placed in your hand, in my hand, that cup of wine. We have the right to accept his word, accept his covenant, but we can push it away. So if you've made that choice to accept him, then you along with I are able to praise, just be prepared. We should be preparing for his return. We should be making ourselves pure and holy. And we need to be out there spreading the word to other people because could you imagine the anticipation in heaven? I'm sure everything's made. I'm sure the tables are set. Could you imagine the excitement in heaven? (laughs) So Jesus said, when you see all these things begin to happen, look up. Because your redemption is drawing near. And I skipped a page here somewhere. Renee, if you would like to. (laughs) Come up there. Yeah, he tells us to look up. And as Renee leads us on this, I want everybody to take a moment and uh, examine your own hearts, where you're at. We see through God's word that the time is close. We're closer closer now than we've ever been. I mean, John said back in, in the book of John, he said they were in the last hours. We're in the last minutes or seconds. There's so much happening, and it's kind of, in a way, it can be fearful. But in a way, it, sh- it shouldn't be fearful. Bad times are probably going to befall us. And that's okay. We'll be closer to the Lord than we've ever been. So she leads us in the last song here. We'll take our time. I want you to examine your hearts where you're. I believe that he had died on the cross for you, but he also raised you from the dead that you might all live again with him. Confess with your mouth. Before. So I give everybody a challenge Wednesday night in the next couple of weeks. I take time to ask somebody. You know, I was talking to my dad one time. And I said, you know, we go to church. We do all these devotionals. message don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week and as always from all of us at cranberry community church may god bless you